Welcome to week three of our Precious in His Sight series. How many's been enjoying this series? Amen. How many loved my friend Pastor Norman last week? Amen. I wish we could make that a little bit more public, um, but we couldn't, you know, just because of the nature of his ministry. But we're so thankful that he was here and, um, and just continue to pray for our partnership with him and his country. And um, so that was so good. And I'm um, also along the lines of just dealing with those issues in our country of value that we've been dealing with. We told you this series isn't a race series, a series on race and division or diversity. This is really a series on value. And so we want to be a house that values folk. Amen. Everyone, all colors, all backgrounds, all cultures, that's who we want to be. And, and it just, I just love that if it's just a little bit of an expression in people's lives and people light up, you know. And I was visiting in the mall with a Nigerian fellow just a few days ago, just talking with him. And it was just one of those things where just, just that mutual respect, just, we just need that. Amen? I said our country needs that. And so with that, as a church, we're partnering with about two to 300 churches in Atlanta on um, April, no, I'm sorry, August the 25th, and we're going to be doing a march to Stone Mountain, not from Woodstock. We'll, we'll start in Stone Mountain, amen? Because <laughs> uh, we're not discriminating against chubby people like me, see? So we're going to start... We're going to start in Stone Mountain, but praise the Lord. So when we get there, um, we'll be able to go and just have a time of repentance and a time of brokenness for the division that often happens, not just in our city, but around the country. And um, in Stone Mountain, that, that rock was a place where the KKK in the early part of this last century um, was able to revitalize and reform. And they carried ceremonies there for years and years and years until the government finally took um, possession of that property for a national park. And they stopped that. But, but for years, it was that way. And so we want to go to that same site that same location and, 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 and have just a time of repentance. And that's not going to just start on August 25th. We're starting that now. Um, the last few months, us pastors have been gathering, pastors of all backgrounds have been gathering and just getting some of this um, connection and relationship moving forward. And now it's time for our body to take that next step. And so on March the 4th from 6 to 8 o'clock, the regional time together to come for prayer and worship, it's, it's going to be a great experience. It's going to happen on 92 at Victory Church, so just, just not far from here. And so we'd love for our whole body to go, as many people that can come that night, and let's just show our solidarity with this movement. And so we'll be going there. I had lunch with the pastor of Victory this week, and man, it was so neat getting to meet that, that man, you know, just getting to connect with him and, and, um, and similar heart, similar vision. So put on your calendar, if you will, the One Race Regional Event, and, um, and kind of in a way of an announcement, if you are certified here at the church to do kids ministry, you have had your background check, etc. we are going to look for about three or four people that we can partner with that night that can serve. And that, that may not seem like the most neat way to show up that night because you're behind the scenes, but um, our church and Victory Church are going to come together and provide the kids ministry for that night. So we just need a few um, volunteers. So if that's you and you're like, man, I know... I want to be in there partying. Well, I get it. There's going to have more of these events between now and then. And so just put that on your calendar and let Pastor Amy know if you'd like to help with that. And so the series is, is precious in his sight. We've dreamed of this series since about October. And just an expression of how we could speak value when it comes to people and, and life. And the word precious, it means an object, substance, or resource of great value, not to be wasted or treated carelessly. That's what the word precious means. That we treat everyone we're with with value. And that life is something that should not be treated carelessly. Amen? This week, our nation, yet again, 
faced the, the careless actions of someone who had evil intent and took the lives of 17 precious people. Remember when I preached two weeks ago about the kingdom of chaos? Remember that? As we go into this talk today, I just want to kind of remind you, the kingdom of chaos, we'll, we'll use part of the stage to represent that, and the kingdom of, of peace, the kingdom of, if you will, shalom, and I'll talk about that a little bit more here in a second. And so this week, that kingdom of chaos was stirred up, wasn't it? And, um, and I just couldn't go into the talk today. I know I told you last week we're going to teach on honor in the home, and we are, but I just couldn't, couldn't run past it, you know? It's, it's sad to think we've had so many of these tragedies that it almost seems second place, commonplace. We can't let it get that way, amen? Does that mean we preach every time there's a tragedy, we take the whole service and deal with it? I, I don't know, but I just would feel really remiss. I wouldn't feel right just running past it. And so I just want to kind of speak to that a little bit when it comes to the idea of value. That school, Stoneman Douglas High School, there was a 15-year-old student that told the NBC news anchor that as she was going up the, the hallway, they saw the man, that, that young man, that Mr. Cruz, or whatever his name was, I forgot his first name, Cruz, they saw him loading his gun. And the person who was loading his gun, he said, that, he said, you better get out of here. Things are going to start to get messy. And that student fled and alerted Aaron Feist, that was the football coach. And that football coach, who also served as security there at the school, he was one of those 17 people that were killed, three teachers, 14 students. And it said that he reportedly was seen shielding himself, guarding three girls from gunfire as he was shot. The young man pulled a fire alarm. Students rush into the, 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 the exits or into the hallways. All of this with the intention of taking lives. All of this with the intention of, of carelessly throwing away that which is precious in God's sight. <clears throat> that was a choice he made. I get that. My heart goes out to him too. Young man, it sounds like he had quite an upbringing, kind of brokenness. His mama died just this fall. My heart does go out to him. Still evil intent. I get that. But my heart goes out to the whole situation. The enemy of our heart is so good. It's stirring that kingdom of chaos, isn't he? She's so good at it. And this week, that's what happened. And, and it even hit close to home. You guys, I don't know if you know who Matthew and Stacy Kohlberg are here. And their niece, Katie Wolf, who's here. Is Katie in this service? I don't see her. Katie's little sister, that's the school that Katie grew up in. Katie's little sister was there. Katie's little sister heard the fire alarm, ran back into the classroom, because that's what they've been taught to do. And when she ran back into the classroom, they heard over the intercom, get out. She took off. They ran down the hall. As they came out, she saw people dead in the hall. I think Nikki might be a junior or senior in high school. Saw people dead in the hall. Literally saw down the length of the hall the back of the man with the gun. And they were able to run and get away. She calls her Aunt Stacy. It's a part of Momentum Church. And as she's running, she's telling Aunt Stacy what's going on. And I'm okay, and I've got out. And Stacy, if y'all know Stacy, Stacy is, is freaking out, you know. Gets, hits close to home. And I just say all that because there was something that the young man said to that kid in the stairway. He said, things are going to start getting messy. You hear that? Things are going to start getting messy. Can I just say this? Things have been messy a long time. 
Anytime we don't live and walk in value of others, things get messy. In your home, if you're not living and walking with value with your kids and value with your wife, it's going to get messy. Obviously not to the degree of Parkland, it's going to get messy. Why? Because when you begin to stir this pot, this place of chaos, it gets things messy. It just does. I told you two weeks, the people that stir this pot ought to be made to lick the spoon. Amen? A sweet African-American old lady told me that, and she didn't say it quite so nice. Man, I wish I could say that in the house of God, but I'm not going to. But. So just the idea of two kingdoms. Remember always when we're dealing with this idea of division and, and, and lack of honor, we're dealing with kingdom issues. Remember, there's only two kingdoms as our country tries to work this out. All right? There's only two kingdoms, chaos and peace. That's it. Two kingdoms. And so as we go forward, the kingdom here is ruled by the Prince of Peace, and that's who we're an emissary for. That's who we're a, 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 a supposed to be an ambassador of, that, that King Jesus. And on the other side, that kingdom of chaos, that kingdom of disorder, that kingdom of division, that kingdom that the evil one sent to torment, that one. And we have a partnership with one or the other. And just like I told you a couple weeks ago, even in matters like this, we've got to be careful which kingdom we're stirring. Be careful when you're on Facebook of which kingdom you're stirring. I know you're angry. I know you're mad. Just guard yourself in which kingdom you're stirring. Amen? There's times to stir and just really rile it up, and there's times to mourn. We see that in Scripture. Right now, this week's been a real season to mourn. As we move forward toward that season to try to fix things, can we be people of the kingdom of God? Amen? And everything we do. Now, that doesn't mean that the peace is something that comes without force. Have you ever heard the term a peacemaker? Right? Sometimes to make peace, you've got to have force. You've got to have strength. You've got to resolve. And that's coming. I get that. But as we do all this, let's keep our hearts. I've already seen it so much on Facebook, so much division, so much angst and anger and backlash and all this stuff. Let's always direct our attention as Christ followers to who the enemy is because we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against every principality and high thing that tries to raise itself up above the knowledge of God, above the peace of God. That's who we battle. And that day, that flesh, was, that spirit was within Cruz. It takes flesh. I get that, but that's not where our battle is. We're battling amongst kingdoms. Amen? This is a series on shalom. This is a series on cultivating shalom and extending God's shalom to the chaos of a broken world. I told you two weeks ago that shalom comes from the root word shalom, which means to be safe in mind, body, or state. It speaks of completeness, fullness, wholeness, concern for another's welfare. And I told you that shalom isn't a passive word. It's a very active word. It's a, it's a word where I'm going to get involved to create that peace. It's not just that, that I wish peace, but I'm, I'm actively moving and valuing that peace might come. And can I just say it this way? I believe those that are a part of the kingdom of God ought to be agents of peace in the midst of chaos. And I believe that we need to stand to our feet and go into some prayer this morning as agents of peace. Amen. And I don't let me not be comfortable with you. And if you're a guest with us and you don't pray out loud, I get that. There's a lot of folk here who don't pray out loud. I'm going to invite those that do pray and pray out loud. We're going to pray out loud. Amen? We're going to
We're going to bombard heaven a little bit today and just do some kingdom work because this is a battle between kingdoms. Let's stand to our feet. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Just begin to pray. Father, right now, we're not going to rush into this. Jesus, you see this country. You see what we're going through, God. Lord God, you see people, Lord, who just continue to devalue and continue to, to take their own action, their own intentions. And, and Lord God, with it, they take lives. Lord God, we ask today, the people of God, that you would begin to allow us, even in our home and in our school and in our churches and in our workplaces, that we would be agents of peace, that God, the spirit that's upon us, Lord, would enter into those rooms and bring peace, I pray, Jesus. Lord, that you give us an open eye, an open wisdom, Lord God, that when we see young men like Cruz hurting, that, that we can do something about it, God, before it gets to that point. Lord, let our whole country bear the responsibility of this. Let's not none of us point the finger, but let us all in brokenness bear the responsibility and then lean into your kingdom and ask for you, Jesus, to help us do something to bring change, I pray, Jesus. Lord, for families right now in Florida that are hurting, we ask that your comfort would come. Lord, funerals after funerals after funerals are taking place. Lord God, 17 and all, just go and visit. Lord God, would you the peace that passes all understanding come like a sentinel, like a guard, and guard their hearts and minds. Lord God, their hearts are full of anxiety, worry, torment even. Lord, would you come and comfort, comfort that whole community, I pray, Jesus. And Lord God, through all this, let us never grow so callous to tragedy that it becomes commonplace. So our hearts with the afflictions of our brothers and sisters in our country. Soften our hearts, God. We ask for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can have your seats. I'm just being honest. Sometimes it's hard. <laughs> To preach, you know what I mean? Just to, to deal with things and then try to give you a nice word about your house. But I do think that it's apropos that it's this week that we're talking about honor in the home. Because I believe, just like the Bible says, that judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Isn't this the house of the Lord? And your homes where you live and the families that you're bringing up are an extension of this house. And so judgment begins where? In our homes. In the house of the Lord. It begins with us. And if we can create a culture of honor amongst our children as they grow. And that's really what's happened in our country. Our country doesn't have at its roots race issues and anger issues. Our country has at its roots sin issues. It has at its roots uh, because of sin and our desire for us to have what we want, when we want, whatever we want, however much we want. Because of that, then it leads into value issues. And at times we value chaos more than we value the shalom of the Lord. Sometimes we value stirring things up without any intention to find solution. Even in our homes, nothing better than a good fight with the wife. Right, baby? Unless it lasts three and a half weeks. I'm telling you, we, we're going to preach on honor in the home. And, and the last three and a half weeks were hell on earth. Just being honest, chaos entered my wife's heart. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> She's right there. Did it not, baby? Did it not? Chaos rose up. And I'm like, thou foul spirit of whatever, you know. It, just, it was horrible. 
And I kept telling her, even while we're fighting, I'm like, this is because I'm preaching on honor in the home. Woman. <laughs> and um, it's been something. And, um, and then Valentine's came. Hallelujah for Valentine's. Praise Jesus. And we started realizing we got to make up because it's the week of love. It's Valentine's. And we're supposed to model that to our children that, that, that we love each other through it. And, but it was hard, wasn't it, Amy? It was tough. It really was. And, and, it, it, and we were stirring more chaos than shalom for a few weeks. And it feels good to be getting on the backside of that. How many, how many married folk have been married a while? I'm normal, right? Good. Okay, good. I didn't think, I didn't think approaching 24 years of marriage, I, th- I thought that was about how it normally is. So. But... Um, but with it, that idea of she's precious, and our kids are precious, and in your home, your children are precious, and when it comes to it, they, we should treat them with value, with great value, you know? And Auburn, she's over here today, Aubrey and I, she's 19, and we got to have breakfast on Saturday morning, and, um, and it was actually her Christmas present to me, and so I got the most expensive thing at J. Christopher's, because <laughs> I, I didn't want to train her up to be cheap in giving her gifts, so... And so, no, I didn't. But uh, we had an incredible time of having breakfast. And, and, um, and even at breakfast, I'm thinking, and afterwards, I got back here to the church, and I'm by myself waiting for my first appointment to come. And, and I just kept thinking that, that there was a lot of parents on Saturday morning that would love to have had breakfast with their kid. And they didn't get to, you know. And um, I can't bring those kids back. But what I can do is I can do what I can to cultivate shalom around me. I can do what I can do for my kids and, um, and that's one of the hardest areas for us to do, um, is really to do that in our homes. I mean, it's easier to do that with strangers sometimes. It's easier to do that with people that, that you don't have connection or relationship to on a daily basis. I heard someone say recently that, you know, when their mom and daddy's young and married, that daddy left work at like 6 in the morning and got back at 8 at night. And they didn't have cell phones. No wonder they were always in love. I'm just going to leave that sit. That's funny right there. <laughs> but when you're with that person all the time, that familiarity, like they say, it does breed contempt. And, and with that, that could be one of the hardest areas to have honor and show honor. It's just honor in our homes. And um, over, the, 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 over time, what happens in your home is the good things that are happening, they just don't feel as good anymore. And the bad things, guess what? They feel a whole lot worse than they really are. Don't they? With those that you're familiar with, you just kind of take advantage of it. And, and, um, and, and that breakfast felt so good. It's been a while since we did that, you know? Why? Because the good things just don't feel as good anymore. And you start to take advantage. And so I want to show you the scripture. In Mark chapter 6, you are not alone in this. This idea of show me honor in my house, you know, or desiring honor and feeling like nobody's honoring me. You know what? You're in good company because Jesus had the same problem. In Mark chapter 6, let's stand to our feet as we read God's word. We have stood up and down, up and down, almost like we're Presbyterians. (laughs) Don't get mad at me if you're a Presbyterian. That joke was predestined. And you were supposed to feel that little bit of anger. Okay, so no. So do we really have any Presbyterians? I love Presbyterians. Praise God. Are you Presbyterian? I knew it. (laughs) So that was funny. (laughs) Oh, Lord. You know the difference between Presbyterians and Baptists, right? 
The Presbyterians will talk to each other in the liquor store. That's the difference. Okay. So it says in Mark 6, Jesus told them a prophet has little honor in his hometown. You see that? This is Jesus saying this. Jesus, a prophet has little honor in his hometown among his relatives and on the streets he played in as a child. Jesus wasn't able to do much of anything there. You never listen to me. Right? You've heard that in your house. He laid hands on a few sick people. He's trying. And he healed them. That's all. Just a few. Why? He couldn't get over their stubbornness. Isn't that good? He left and he made a circuit of the other villages teaching. I'm out of here. I'll just go teach someplace else. If Jesus did that, then how can we be any different in our homes? You know? The difference is Jesus also says, don't get divorced. So you're stuck figuring this out. And we got to lean into the peace kingdom. Amen? Um, not run over to chaos. So go ahead and have your seats. <laughs> and so I love that. A prophet, and, and I'm going to stretch this. I, I love to have proper exegesis. That's when we properly take scripture and we pull the meaning that was originally intended from that scripture and we pull from it application truth and we live that. But sometimes it's fun just to have a little eisegesis. So please let me know this is not, let, let, me, let me tell you this is not theologically super sound. Okay, I'm just kind of stretching this a little bit. Can you give me some poetic license today? Okay, so when it comes to the idea of a prophet, a prophet is someone set in place by God to bring forth his words and deeds. That's what a prophet is. And, and I just, frankly, I believe that every single person set in your home was set there by God. So I believe there's a prophetic purpose to every single person in your home. There's a prophetic purpose for Grant in my house. You know, there's a prophetic purpose for Auburn in my house. There's a prophetic purpose for, for Maverick in my house and, and for Arden, my littlest one. Her prophetic purpose is to keep me from killing all the others. There's a prophetic purpose. And so here's the thing. That prophet, that person is set by God to speak and to do as God would have them to lead. Wouldn't you say it'd be a lot easier in our house if all of us were speaking and doing as God had us to leave in our home? Yeah, it'd be easier. But we're also human. You're prophetically human, not pathetically human, prophetically human, okay? And I just want you to get that picture in your mind that every single person in your, in your, in your dwelling, they are prophets from God. They're gifts from God to do and to speak on his behalf, and we need to treat them that way. We need to treat them with value. The ones you value least, though, so often are the ones you live with most. Is that the truth? And so God has set them specially in our lives. There's nobody in my life that knows me and can speak, thus saith the Lord, like my wife. Amy, she can speak life to me, correction to me, all that to me. And not just because she's my wife. There's a prophetic edge on her for our marriage. I can't tell you how many times she'll just get like the radar. And she'll have this heads up insight into something we need to do or not do. A focus we need to begin to, 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 to lean into. And for me not to value her or honor her, especially if it's over time, over time. You know, we had a few weeks of that. But if it was over time and over time, I'm robbing myself from the prophetic voice of Jesus in my house and in my life. Amen? Amen. And I'm telling you, even that little baby in your arms has a prophetic purpose from God in your house. We want to treat the prophet right. Amen? I love how the scripture says that that you're to, to honor the prophet and do the prophets no harm. And the preachers always use that to say, bless me. By giving me a car or bless me by not being mean to me. No, I want to look at my little ones, my kids, and see the prophetic gift on them and say, I'm not, I don't want to do them any harm. I want to honor. I want to show value. 
to them. I think that's a good use of that scripture. Again, like I said, I can't create theology from this. I'm kind of stretching it. But when it comes to this idea of valuing those that we do life with most, the least, the familiarity of a home robs each other of receiving the value they deserve. Okay, so that familiarity, there's a few points here. The familiarity of that home, it keeps you from showing value to your kids. And I will be honest, there are weeks that go by, weeks, plural, that go by that I've probably shown more value to people outside my home and more concern and more care and more attention than I have my own family. And I apologize for that. I need to work on that, amen? But I'm not alone in that. You as well. It's who we are. The second part of this familiarity, the familiarity of a home robs each other of receiving the value one has to offer. So not only does it rob us from valuing those, but also receiving from those. If I don't view you as valuable, then the word coming from you I don't see as something coming from God. Or the pain coming from you is something I see as valuable and I need to help deal with. Or the concern or the, the, whatever it might be. And so that familiarity, it just does such a, a service of robbing us if we're not careful. The value isn't evident between one, if, I'm sorry, if the value isn't evident between one another, you'll begin to take advantage of each other. That's just like the next step. When you don't value somebody, you take advantage of them. When you don't value, you don't treat them right. When you don't value, obviously, to the nth degree, you have a young man that shoots up a school. It doesn't matter, but this all comes down to this idea of value. Treating people as precious in God's sight, that's what it comes down to. And as homeowners, as, li- as, as family members in our family, the people that we have the most connection with, that's the ones that we struggle to value with most. Now, I love this. In 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8-10, through 10, tells a story of a woman from Shunem, the Shunammite woman. You've probably heard of her before and what God did in her life with her son and all that, raising him from the dead, etc. But early on, it says this in 2 Kings, it says, one day Elisha, he was a prophet, He went to Shunem, turned in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Continually. There's there's this man that they're having a connection with, familiarity with. He's coming by often. And watch what she does. She says, Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed and a table and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. I like that. This is a prophet, and she is purposefully taking care of him. Okay? So like I said, I think every single person set in our home is a prophet. There's somebody from God set in place to touch your life, to challenge your life, sometimes more challenging than you wish, but they have that prophetic unction in your life. God's using them with a prophetic function to timely tell you things about yourself. I am flawed. My family helps me know that. You guys don't. Well, Brian Choate does. I don't know if Brian's in here. Um, but no, you know, and, that, and you know that's the problem with pastors. I'll just be honest. Pastors so often mess up with the family because you guys are, oh, Pastor Ross, it's just so wonderful. Your sermon was so great. It was so good. You know, They don't do that. Oh, you took the wash rag and cleaned out the bathtub. I don't hear that. But if I don't do it, you better believe I hear it. You know? And so people will distance themselves from their family. Preachers will do that because this feels a whole lot more at times rewarding and full of accolades. But it can be empty, you know? You're not the people that God prophetically put in my life to shape me most. 
My family is. So if you're having issues with people in your family, thank God for it. God is at work. And if everybody in that situation can start to value each other, you watch what God will work out. Amen? Amen. Sometimes God uses the devil. I get it. So listen, we need to remind ourselves that we are to provide for each other a place to live well on the journey. That's what she did, this Shunammite woman. She created a place where that prophet could live well while he was on his journey. And I want to be a person that in my home, and I want to be you, you people to be people who in your homes, you do whatever it takes to help your family live well on the journey. And I'm just going to read a scripture. We're not going to preach into this too much today, but just listen to these words. This is powerful. Colossians 3, it says, this is kind of what it looks like to live well on your journey. In these you too once walked. I was talking about all this kinds of sin when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger and wrath, malice and slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, uncircumcised or uncircumcised, or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. It's kind of speaking of the greater spiritual body, that we're all together. But I want you, again, to think of this in light of your own home, that body. Listen, verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Let me stop there. When it says put on, then, that means it's not natural. We are naturally selfish. That's why God has given you all these people in your life to help work nature out and to bring you. They call forth in your life what God is trying to do in you. That's what your wife's doing when he's telling, she tells you to do what she's telling you to do. Just go, yes, Lord, I receive. Everybody just practice that. Say, yes, Lord, I receive. I'm just saying it's not natural. So we've got to put on all this stuff. As we put on this, it's not natural. God starts to change our selfishness. He starts to shape us under that prophetic word, under that unction of God. He starts to change us. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. That means it's not easy. It's difficult to bear something. None of this is easy. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Next Sunday, we have an amazing sermon on forgiveness. I can't wait for you to experience this service next Sunday. Verse 14, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. This week, if you want, go and read this scripture over and over and over again, Colossians 3. Just read this passage over and over, meditate on it, but also tie to it 1 Corinthians 13 and the characteristics of love. Because above all, you, you put on love. That binds all this stuff together. And I believe if you'll take some time this week. How many is going to take time this week to meditate on these things? All right. The Colossians scripture and the 1 Corinthians 13 scripture. And, um, and if you can't remember where they're at, your app that you have, your Momentum um, Church Georgia app. Just go search it and you'll get that app. It has the notes right in there from today's sermon. Okay. And so you can take that and just meditate on this. Get this deep down on the inside. And above all these, put on love. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. I love that. Because admonition is not always something of encouragement. Admonition sometimes is challenge. And so there's this sense of love and 
concern and taking care of each other and, and bearing each other. It's difficult. But admonishing each other. In all wisdom, singing praise and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If we can get that prophetic edge in our homes, because really that prophet is doing in word and deed everything God tells them. And if we get that prophetic edge in our home, they'll bring, God will bring honor in our home. If every person in the home is looking at each other with the value of a prophet, I see you as set by God in my life. And I'm going to treat you with that value. And then that person is going, I am trying to do everything I do in word and deed as according to the actions of the Lord. If each of us do that, it creates this bond of honor in our house that cannot be broken. Finally, it says, dear children, in 1 John 3, 18, similar to the clock, love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Just very similar to the Colossians passage. As I close, and again, I'm not going to preach on these today, but I want you to take these quick things, look at that app, or write them down real fast, and just begin to practice these, all right? Two don'ts and two do's to create honor in the home. Let's do the two don'ts first. Number one, don't be satisfied with anything less than love. Don't be satisfied with anything less than love. That's what binds everything together. That's why you need to go and study 1 Corinthians 13 and take a little bit of time with it. Really just take that time to sow into your spirit the word of God, what God is saying that love looks like, you know? Do that, you know? And, and, and if you truly do love your family and you need to change, guess what you should do? Ch- change. Yeah. Because more of the same doesn't bring change. More of the same doesn't mean that I have showing love and showing honor. If I know this is something that needs to change, I've got to show love by being willing to change. And it will help you in doing so. That second thing, when it comes to the second don't, Don't be satisfied with anything less than peace. Don't be satisfied with stirring up up anything less than this kingdom. I'm not saying that you won't deal with stuff, but deal with it like you would in the kingdom, not like you would in the chaos. Don't just jump right over to chaos and start, you know, cussing your girl out, cussing your kids out. Oh, yeah, nobody in here has ever done that before, you know. No, don't, but deal with it in a sense of peace in this kingdom. Fight hard in this kingdom and do whatever it takes to draw yourselves over into this kingdom. But don't be satisfied with anything less than peace. Um, um, (laughs) I love how it said there that, that, that Jesus couldn't do anything with those people in that city. Why? Because of their stubbornness. They weren't going to change. They weren't going to move in what God had. And sometimes our stubbornness keeps us in conflict and our stubbornness keeps us in chaos rather than receiving from the prophet, rather than being able to receive what God desires, that peace. I was counseling this week, and the Lord gave me a really neat picture of a continuum of conflict and consolation. And so consolation was on this side, and conflict was on this side. And the picture came to me of this. If I'm chasing after peace, then I'm leaving conflict. Well, that makes sense. Look at it this way, though. I'm chasing consolation. I'm finding comfort. I'm finding peace. And the more I chase, the further conflict gets. But if I want to chase after conflict, the more I chase conflict, the further consolation gets. And I don't know about you. I want to live in a a home where there's consolation and there's peace and there's each of us bearing up each other. And so I have both. You can chase conflict or you can chase consolation, but you can't chase both. Amen? 
And so I'm going to encourage you this week, start practicing that. As soon as you start to feel yourself stirring this kingdom up, realize that you're st- <laughs> I love you. Realize that you're stirring this kingdom up over here. Start realizing I'm chasing conflict, and I'm going to lose peace. And so don't be satisfied with anything less than peace. Finally, in closing, the two do's. Number one of the two do's, have clear goals for your relationship. Each of your relationships. Those that you should honor, you respect, you know, what you inspect. So inspect that relationship and create some goals for that relationship. Amy and I have talked about this. I don't do this well. And if I don't fix this, I'm showing that I don't value her. And that is coming home at night and setting the phone on the buffet. You know, the buffet, um, this thing we have. Does anybody have a buffet in your house? <laughs> Nobody ever talks about buffets. And um, I've had this thing in my life since I was a kid, this buffet. And I talk about it, and people look at me like I'm a cow looking at a new gate. It's a piece of furniture. And so she wants me to put it on the buffet. I think it's fine if it's sitting on the table. Apparently it's not. <laughs> i got to put that on the buffet. That's something that she's helping me to define. So I need to realize and embrace that change. Set it on the buffet. Everybody say, Pastor, set the phone on the buffet. Shut up. No. <laughs> uh, something that we have, Amy and I have always had, is that first 15 minutes, we try that first 15 minutes coming to the door, just talking, being together, getting our, our day in sync as I come back home and such. And it's hard to do that if the phone's in your hand, you know. And so that's just something. So I don't know what it looks like for you, but set those kinds of things that will help cultivate shalom in your relationship. Final one, and this is going to help you. That whole picture of conflict and consolation, that's going to help you. And this next last one. So one of those do's is going to be really strong if you practice it. And one of these here, or that is one of the don'ts. Here's one of the do's. It's going to be really strong if you practice it. Focus on strengths and points of agreement. The way we embrace conflict and chaos is to just focus on the points of disagreement and to stir that pot and stir that pot and stir that pot. But you realize in every argument, in every situation, there's some things that you can agree upon. Even if it's the things you're frustrated with, it's something you can find agreement in. And so I want to challenge you to focus on that point of agreement. It's our natural tendency when we are heated up and things are in chaos to look at what we're against more than what we are for. All right? And I'm going to tell you right now, when you start to look at what you're against more than what you're for, you're for, your ears get cloudy. They don't hear well the heart of that other person that you're doing life with. They just don't. Because they start to say something, I know what they're going to say. And you start to think your retort. You start to formulate that response. And then when you say it, they go, that's not what I was saying at all. You always missed my point. I venture to say you probably do. Why? Because you're not listening. Because you're listening for disagreement points. And then you're cultivating and, and putting those in your mind. You're thinking about your retort. I'm going to challenge you to do something very biblical. There's something powerful about agreement. Start listening for points of agreement. Dear, I get what you're saying. I don't agree with it. But I understand this is hurting your heart. Help me understand why your heart is hurting so much. Why is this affecting you so? We can at least agree on that, that she's hurt. Right? Help me to understand why now. And so that's where two or three, and as you do that, that starts to unify you around something. And I'm going to get a little spooky spiritual, where two or three gather together agreeing, Jesus shows up. Jesus doesn't show up in a lot of homes because all you're doing is looking for the points of disagreement. And you wonder why there's no honor in the home, and there's no healing in their home, and there's no shalom in the home. Jesus, he's bringing his shalom if you'll let him come. But it comes when we look for points. Everybody say points of agreement. 
And so that's going to help you listen better, help you focus in. Because now you're not listening, ooh, she's about to say that when she does. Now you're going, what is it that she's saying that I can buy into? That I can stand as an ally with her in this moment, not against her. But I can run to consolation beside her together, an ally against this, rather than in conflict facing off. Does that make sense? And so that's, that's just some, some, it's not our normal flow today, but that's just some good little teaching points that we can take and begin to practice. Amen? And as I close, um, one thing that's really off subject, but it's not, in light of that young man who was adopted and lost his adopted father, I think it was four years old, and then his mama passed. I don't know how many points of connection that young man would have needed in his life to kept him from being so fragmented in his mind. I don't know how many but I do know that he needed more, you know? And there's people that are struggling to have honor in their home because they are struggling. And that's the beautiful thing about foster ministry. That's the beautiful thing about adoption. That's the beautiful thing about mentoring. That's the beautiful thing about doing respite work, taking people that are in foster situations and giving those workers a break for a weekend. It's a powerful thing. And um, we're going to be partnering with a man by the name of uh, Donis Steele. And his ministry is called Families for Families. Families for Families. I'm just telling you this ahead of time. Um, it's, he, it's going to be about six weeks, I think, before he actually comes and shares and stuff. But we just want to encourage you. If you have a heart to help bring honor and integrity into people's homes while they're going through hard times, man, it would be an amazing thing for a bunch of us momentum folk to embrace that kind of ministry. Amen? Amen? And so um, we have people here that we do, but that's what they've done, foster kids, and, and now that they're adopted children, that's not the plan that you have to do, but that's what they've done. It's just an amazing thing. You know, I see the bridges back here, and just their work with troubled kids for years and years and years. I don't know if the Gaithers are in this service. There he is, Scotty back there, you know, and, and, and Sandy, with everything that they've gone through helping kids. And, and so it's just a powerful tool that we can just express this shalom, this peace, this kingdom that we can cultivate in families' lives that are going through hell, that are going through chaos. Amen? And so I know that's kind of a tag on at the end of this, but if you are interested, don't wait for that meeting to happen. If you're interested to cultivate shalom into families' lives that are facing chaos, talk to Pastor Marvin, if you would. That's part of our outreach arm, and it's just a new ministry that's going to be coming up over the next you know, few months as we, as we get our people involved with, with um, families for families. So let me close in prayer. Father, right now, as we leave this house, God, I just ask that you would help us to be those that recognize the people in our homes as those who, who, who deserve honor, as those who are, are set there by you, God. And we'll be those that value them, and we'll be those that will receive from them as such. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www dot momentumchurch dot tv